That's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles then. Turn over to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're in chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 1, read through verse 10. Again, we certainly uh, are looking forward to that missions conference. And again, I know, um, you know, it, it changes our schedules a little bit. And honestly, for me, it's a wonderful change. <laughs> I, my feet do pretty good for that first eight hours. It's that last four that kill me. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking forward to the missions conference. Well, for a number of reasons. But uh, listen, I'll be honest with you. The missions conference won't make any difference in your life if you're not here. You really need to make up your mind to be here. I mean, you just need to make up your mind to be here. Just plan on it. And just put it on the calendar and plan on being here. The Indians already won the ACLS or whatever it's called. Yeah, so they're already on their way to the, the big show. So you don't have to stay home and watch any baseball then. So you're pretty good there. And there's not really any good football on these days, it seems like, especially that Thursday night game, uh, wait, wait, Monday night game. You won't have to worry about that. But uh, you know, Cleveland, they're the only team worth watching, right? Okay, maybe not. So plan on being here, would you? You'll encourage those missionaries tremendously, and you'll be blessed. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let, us, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while, excuse me, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Father, we come to you and we just ask, Lord, you'd bless us in these next few moments. Lord, we thank you for the prayer time and we thank you for the opportunity to gather here tonight. Lord, um, I just pray, Father, that you would just take what's said tonight and may it just be an encouragement and a help. And Lord, may you just, Father, revive us again. Every time we come to your house, we need a little reviving. And Lord, I'm looking forward to the mission's revival. Lord, I know in my own heart, my own soul, I need revive. But tonight we gather, Lord, looking for the same thing tonight. Father, who knows what you'll do in a heart? Well, just because we're in 1 Timothy 6 doesn't mean you won't call somebody to the mission field or a young man or an older man to preach. Lord, we limit you so often. Lord, may we just be receptive to your Holy Spirit and may we truly allow him to have his will and way in our life. Bless us tonight. May we put aside our pride. We die to self. 
or we forget about whatever's going on in our life for just a moment and truly allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, we'll thank you. Now calm our hearts and help us, Lord, to understand that there is nothing more important than these next few moments in this place right now, that this is the priority for now. Nothing else is more important than this message and what you're going to do in our life for this hour. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Somebody may say, well, I don't agree with you. There are other things more important than this service, not if this is where you're supposed to be. Do you realize that priorities are not built like this? They're built like this. When it's time to be a husband, it's time to be a husband. When it's time to be an employee, it's time to be an employee. When it's time to be a, a mother, it's time to be a mother. You, you get where I'm going with this. What you're doing at the time is the priority. You have to give your very best to every single thing you do. Therefore, if you're only giving a part of it because you say, this isn't the priority in my life, then you're really disobeying God because whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with thy might, for there's no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. These young ladies were up here singing, and at the time, this was the priority. There wasn't one other thing more important than standing on this stage singing that song at that moment. If they were thinking about anything but what God was having them do to praise Him and to elevate Him and to honor Him at that moment, they were wrong. And so I want to encourage you for this, just these few minutes to say, you know what, I'm not going to let anyone or anything distract me right now. Not let anyone or anything distract me. I'm going to focus right now on what we're learning and what we're going to hear from the Word of God. You say, well, you must have something really special tonight. You just have the Word of God. I don't know if that's special or not to you, but it's pretty special to me, amen? And uh, I got a feeling that you wouldn't be here if it wasn't special to you. So here we are together. So let's see what we can glean. Of course, again, we're in the book of Timothy. And last week, of course, when we ended... We had been dealing with this issue of false teachers, and we've been looking over that. And Paul, he begins to share with us some characteristics of false teachers, and then even some characteristics of their ministry and so forth. He finally arrives here at verse 5, and he says, goes on to say, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. And again, notice that he emphasized this idea of gain is godliness. These false teachers say, gain is godliness. Gain is godliness. Now, we know in the Old Testament, of course, with uh, Abraham, you know, he was a very rich man. We know that in the book of uh, Job, we see a man, once again, extremely rich. We look at Abraham, we look at Isaac and Jacob, the same thing, very rich. And we understand that in the Old Testament, God revealed and and God... um, uh, evidenced his uh, favor on a person through their, their material things. And we see that often in the Old Testament. We see Solomon and David and others who had great wealth and great prosperity and great this, great that. And so much so that over in chapter 1 of uh, the book of Acts, when Jesus Christ had a, it was preparing to ascend in verse 6, they say, okay, you know, Lord, are you coming back? I mean, you know, this kingdom that you're going to put, up, uh, put in place, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but he ultimately says... Basically, no, you, you don't, you're misunderstanding what's going on here. This isn't the time for that. And, and the bottom line was is that I'm, I'm getting mixed up a little bit. Let me turn back over to Acts chapter 1 real quick because honestly it has nothing to do with the lesson. But who knows, maybe the Lord, he, he just wants me to talk about it a while. But Acts chapter 1, over here we see what it says. And they, he's uh, preparing to ascend and, and it says, And um, 
to whom, uh, let's see, verse 4, and being assembled together with them in chapter 1, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father hath put in his own power. Now again, he's going to go ahead and he's going to ascend and he's telling them, listen, there's something else here. You're not seeing the whole great picture. It's kind of like back there. And again, I, I kind of deviated. I went off the topic. I'm, I'm in two different passages. You're very confused and so am I right now. And so what we find though is, remember when he talked about the camel, the eye of a needle? That's the one I'm trying to remember. And he said, that it's, 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 you know, it's more difficult for a man to be uh, was saved than, let's see. Uh, the, yeah, what was that brother again? Hit me with it. Holy Spirit talk. <laughs> it's 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 more it's more, uh, it's di- more uh, yeah. Right. It's it's e- yes. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the the disciples were like freaking out. What are you talking about? Why would that be? That's you kidding me? It's it's more difficult. It's more difficult for a camel to go. You know. It's more difficult for a rich man to go to heaven, basically, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And again, you have to understand the culture, but, you know, in order to get a camel through the eye of a needle, you actually had to take everything off the camel and you had to, dis, you know, take all the, the, the luggage off and everything it was bearing and all the weight it was carrying. Uh, camels in those days were kind of like trucks, you know. You load them up and they go cross country. Well, they said, man, are you kidding me? It's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? said, yeah. You know what their problem was? They were thinking of that Old Testament. They're looking at the Old Testament and they're thinking to themselves, wait, everybody in the Old Testament, man, all the big dogs in the Old Testament were making big money. I mean, what about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about Jacob, Lord? I mean, those guys were all rich. They all went to heaven, man. You blessed them with great favor and you gave them great, great blessing financially. That's how God worked and that's how he did things. Let me tell you something. He don't work that way today. See, what happens is with the false teachers, he wants to go back to that Old Testament. And he wants to believe somehow that gain is godliness. That just because he has gain, because he sees whether it's financial gain or he sees that things are going his way, then obviously it must be of God. But let me tell you something. Just because things are going your way doesn't mean that God's in it. There's a lot of people who are in church that aren't really living for God in their, in their homes. They're not doing the right things. They're not really separated under the Lord. And they're going along and they're saying, well, listen, I still got a nice car. I got a nice family. My children are doing fine. We go to good schools. We got everything going our way. Man, obviously God's got his hand of favor on my life. Really? But yet you're involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. You're watching things you shouldn't watch. You're listening to things you shouldn't listen to. You're going places you shouldn't go. And you're telling me God's in it? Maybe the devil's in that. See, in the New Testament, God doesn't bless like that's not how God primarily blesses. God has spiritual blessings. The false teacher in this particular case, and Paul addresses it here, again, he says gain is godliness. And in this case, the false teacher, man, what he does is he's trying to get gain off of the people of God. He's trying to make gain out of Christianity. So what's Paul say? He says, withdraw yourself. Withdraw yourself. From such withdraw thyself. Get away from them. They don't have your best interest at heart. You better just stay as far away from them as you possibly can. And so the next point that he hits now in verse 6, 
seems to turn his attention. He turns his attention to a subject that's fueled, it seems, by the greed of these false teachers. Remember, they're saying gain is godliness. Paul then kicks off in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's a big difference right there. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So in this passage here, we learn that gain is not godliness. That's what we learn. Just because somebody prospers, just because they have a, a good paying job, just because things the door opened up for this or the door opens up, that doesn't mean anything in and of itself. Gain is not godliness, Paul says. We're not Abraham and we're not Isaac and we're not Jacob. And just because things seem to be going good and we bow down at an altar from time to time and God, you know, worship God, the God of heaven, just because things are going, well, that's blessings from God, that blessings from God. I don't know, some teenager may think that new phone you just bought them is a blessing from God, but let me tell you something, you better be real careful what they're watching and viewing on it because it could ruin their life forever. And you'd say, well, it's of God. They'd say, God's so good to me. Maybe that wasn't God that gave you the phone. Listen to me, you better be real careful with things like that. We assume because it seems to be a blessing to us that it must be God giving it. And Paul makes it really clear. He says, listen, that should not be our goal. Our goal has to be careful. We have to be careful what our goals are. True riches are to be found not in material things, but in spiritual things is what we find. And Paul was a model of godliness with contentment. I mean, Paul, man, he knew what it was to not have everything. I mean, I mean, let's face it, regarding money matters, regarding issues with material things, there's nobody that would have wanted people to have more than Paul because Paul understood what it was to do without. And anybody that's ever done without knows that it's, there's lessons to be learned in that, but they also realize, boy, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know if I'd want anybody to have to live as tough as I did. You know, and those parents, years ago, years ago, it was parents would say things like, I want my children to grow up with a better life than I had. Not, not better parents necessarily, not better, better uh, morals, not better, uh, you know, those kind, but better conditions. I don't want them to have to go to the outhouse in the middle of the night. And I don't want them to have to, those kind of things. Now, that's not how it is today, is it? A parent that says, I want children to have it better than I had, you better be careful with that one. You just take a trip to Mexico sometime. Take a trip to the Philippines before you assume that giving your children more than you had will help them. Just be real careful with that. I'm just giving you something to consider. I don't know. But Paul was a model of godliness with contentment. Now, he knew what plenty was. He knew what poverty was. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Again, the Apostle Paul, he understood this thing. And, and, and he seems to be springboarding off this philosophy of these false teachers that said that gain is godliness. And now he jumps right into chapter, verse 6, and he says, No, 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 Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's funny, isn't it? I, I mean, it's kind of humorous to me, I guess. It's interesting, when a pastor has a preoccupation with finances, when he wants to have things, when he is putting a lot of emphasis on his financial stability and his soundness, and he says things, you know, you can tell clearly that he's in it for money. 
Everybody freaks out. But it's okay for the guy in the pew to be out for money. It's all right. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Providing for my family. Oh, but wait, the preacher's not allowed to have that. Well, I just want to, I, I want to make a hundred grand. And everybody goes, well, that's pretty ambitious. He's supposed to be a spiritual man. Money shouldn't matter to him. Well, you know what? Biblically, the Bible says it shouldn't matter to you either like that. See, the thing is, is that the shoe fits on both feet here. It's on yours and mine. See, the reality is, is that a pastor shouldn't be moved by money. He shouldn't be motivated by money. But neither should you as a people. We're Christians. We're all in the same boat. Paul's saying simply here in the passage, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the real gain. And he says, I know a little bit about this in Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Not that I speak in respect of one. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to bound. What he's saying basically is I know how to be abased. I know, how to, to, I know what it is to be with nothing, but also know what it's like to have, a, have abundance. I mean, I've been, I've been at both ends of the spectrum. I've had both. But he goes on to say simply this. He says, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Notice he is instructed to be. He's instructed to be. It's not that he made up his mind that this is what works for me and this is what's best for me. And I think maybe it'd be good for you. No, he says, I'm instructed. Therefore, it means God told him, you got to learn to be content whether you are abased or whether you're abounding, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. You have to learn to be content. He said, you've been instructed. Now obey. That's what the Lord teaches. Again, we don't like to talk about this because this isn't where we live in America. We live in a nation where we have more than we can even imagine. We have more spendable income than you even know what to do with. You say, no, I don't. No, I don't. Well, when's the last time you bought a $3 drink? Are you kidding me? Oh, have you drank a bottled water lately? Well, of course I have. You mean to tell me you pay for water? But you don't have any money. Come on. We're crazy in America. We have more than we even know what to do with. So he says, you don't get... Wait a second. I'm not talking about how you're living and what, your need, what, you, what you feel your needs are. I'm saying financially we have more than any other nation on this earth. It's amazing what is available in America. And what we have. Paul says, I know how to base, and I, I know how to uh, both how to be a base, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, I, I'm, I'm to be in it all. Matter of fact, you live for God, Paul knew it's going to happen sooner or later. You better just get ready for it. Paul also told them that. He had suffered the loss of all things. Look at verse 8 in that same chapter, Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Notice what it says here in verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good... Uh, let's see. I might, have, I might be in... Oh, I'm in chapter 4. I need chapter 3. Excuse me. I told you I was confused tonight. Yea, doubtless, chapter 3, verse 8. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord.
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. For whom? You see that? For whom? That means for the Lord Jesus, he's lost everything. He said, I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I'm not sure what went down with the Apostle Paul. I don't know if his family disinherited him. I'm not sure if he became an enemy of the state the moment he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And next thing you know, he was a marked man and therefore he lost all of his benefits from the Sanhedrin or wherever it was. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that the Apostle Paul says he suffered the loss of all things. There have been people, possibly some in this room, that have lost or suffered the loss of all things at one point. You lost your family, you lost your job, you lost your finances, you lost your security, you lost your future, you lost everything but your salvation. Possibly. That's a possibility. Lost your health. Paul the Apostle says, I lost it all. I suffered. I mean, it's amazing when you think about what could possibly he could be talking about here. But when you look at it, he says, he suffered the loss of all things. For the sake of Christ. Paul understood what these people were going through, and he understood their culture, and he understood their needs, and Paul's addressing this issue. He said, yeah, there's some false teachers out there, Timothy, and they're going to tell you that godliness, that, that, that gain is godliness, but I'm telling you that godliness with contentment, that's what great gain is. That's great gain. The world can't give you contentment. And the world can't take it away from you either. But sadly, it's not for sale either. You can't buy contentment. The word translated contentment in 1 Timothy 6.6 6 means literally satisfaction with what one has. Satisfaction with what one has. Are you satisfied with what you have? Now again, understand, there's a holy dissatisfaction with the, when you think about all the souls dying and going to hell. Someone says, well, I won one soul in the last 30 years and I'm content. Well, you ought to have a holy dissatisfaction then for the fact that you haven't seen another. I mean, I, I don't know how to speak or, share, or to, to convey this, this, this dilemma we have here. I mean, contentment and dissatisfaction with certain things. I mean, that, that's a tough one. I, we're not talking about, well, I'm content to be lazy. I'm content to not provide for my family. I'm content to not get up and make breakfast for my husband. I'm content to not take care of my children. I'm content to... Now, that's not what it's talking about. I mean, I think anybody with, you know, anything more than a... Well, anyway, I'm sure that everybody understands that. So what happens then? He moves right on into verse 7 now. Look what he says now. He comes off of that and he says, he makes this statement now. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now again, notice, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, now those false teachers, they're going to tell you that gain is godliness. But Timothy, I'm telling you right now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Again, Paul is emphasizing the fact that material things are useful, but they're only useful for a period of time. 
a period of time. He says we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You know, we have the example of Job, don't we? What a great example of this we have. I mean, he was extremely rich, Job was. Extremely rich. He had enormous flocks. Matter of fact, he had 7,000 sheep, the Bible says. I mean, this guy, he had 3,000 camels. You know what they did with camels in those days is they would put a, 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 a camel train together. And they'd march those camels through the wilderness and they'd carry supplies to different cities and places. This was a man of commerce. He didn't just have a bunch of camels hanging out in his property because it was fun to look at him. He was using those animals to build his wealth. He obviously had a business of trade. I mean, 3,000 camels would be like having 3,000 semis today. I mean, how much money do you think you can make if you own 3,000 semis? Well, maybe you don't want to answer because you might be in the hole pretty big too, but 3,000 semis, can you imagine paying fuel for those? But nonetheless... If you were transporting goods from here to California and here to Detroit and here to Toronto or wherever it might be and you're transporting all over the country and you have 3,000 trucks, you're going to make some money. This guy was making money. He had 500 she-asses and 500 yoke of oxen. Why do you think he had those? To plow his fields and to plant his farms. This guy was, I mean, he was an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He had a number of servants. He had ten children. And he loved his kids desperately. If ever a man had everything that we would say is success in this life, it was Job. He had it all, man. He had it all. But then disaster struck, didn't it? I mean, it was just like that. Just like that. He stripped of his possessions. His children were killed by a tornado. His wife turned against him. His friends accused him of being wicked and sinful. Job learned very quickly the emptiness of the things of this world. They don't meet the needs in and of themselves. They don't always last either. Here today, gone tomorrow. Note the conclusion that Job arrives at as a result of his circumstances. Turn to Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job 1, verse 21. I'm sure there was a point in Job's life where maybe he even got thinking, man, this is the best, man. I mean, things are going great and God is on my side. And, and I believe without a doubt he knew that he had the hand of God on his life. And man, God was blessing him with health and wealth and prosperity. Man, it just was everything he touched turned to gold. And then all of a sudden it was gone. Just gone. Job chapter 1 verse 21. Notice where he ultimately arrives. Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return hither. <laughs> Job sits down and he's in a mess. He's a, boils all over his body and a, a heap of pain and torment. His mind racked with hurt and heartache. And he eventually comes to this place where he says, you know what? 
naked. Came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Well, that's exactly what Paul told us, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly... I mean, it's almost... For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus himself shares this truth in a way that obviously only he can, but in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, notice Jesus says some things here. Notice what he says. He shares with us, in a sense, a story, if you will. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed. Excuse me. What in the world's going on here today? I must have wrote down the wrong verse. Hold on a second. Okay, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Well, I'll tell you what, that's a pretty sobering account. Isn't that something, that parable? I mean, you think about it, the Lord here, he shares this story about this man now who has this bustling business. It's just growing leaps and bounds. He doesn't even know what to do with all the increase. And he thinks to himself, man, I mean, I got the world by the tail. Things are going my direction. This is awesome. Man, matter of fact, I can just kick back and relax and, and my future's taken care of. I got more than I'll ever need. And the Lord says, thou fool. Why? Because, see, he left God out of the equation, didn't he? I'll build this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And he says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? I'm going to give you a piece of advice. You don't have to agree with me. But parents, if you've got a little bit of money, why don't you spend some of it? Instead of saving it for your kids. If you raised your kids the way they should be raised, they won't need your money. That's right. That's right. Sorry, I, I thought I'd throw that out there, but the, the fact is is that, you know, I, I understand, you know, we talk about listen, you leave a legacy for them spiritually. You know, biblically, I mean how's going what where's why why is it always money? Everything's money, 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 money. Let's take the time. I'll tell you what, why don't you do this? If, if you're really, you want to give your, leave your kids something, maybe you ought to just not put as much in your 401k for a few years and spend a little more time at home with your kids. Why, you can influence them for a lifetime. And, and, and then worry about the kids say, well, I just want to have a big nest egg so I can give it to them when I die. Well, why don't you just spend a little more time with them and invest in their life so they have a few more memories maybe. 
And then let God worry about some of that other stuff along the way. Yeah, you plan and you prepare. Don't be a fool about it, but think about it for a minute. What do they need? They need that, what, piddly little 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 50,000 more dollars at the end of their life? Or did they need you? I'm just telling you, man, I, I don't know. And again, I understand everybody's got a little angle here and they're thinking, well, I'm not thinking that though. I'm thinking about my retirement. Yeah, I understand all that. But I listen to people sometimes talk about giving their kids their retirement and give them a big nest egg to their kids. Why? So they can go out and take it and use it on drugs and alcohol and the world and living for the world. And I'd give my money to the church before I'd do that. I would. Someone says, well, that's because you're a preacher and you think it's going to your church. Well, by the time I get ready to die, I hope I'm not in here. I hope I live long enough that I can't pastor. Then I won't be a pastor. I'll be given to whatever church I'm attending. And there'll be a bunch of young preachers hoping I go there. But they won't probably have a whole lot because I ain't going to have much. But I'll give them what I got left. Hopefully I got at least a McDonald's gift card or something on me when I go. So anyway, having food and raiment. He goes on now. He tells them, listen, you got to be careful here. The Lord later on in that chapter 12 tells, Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, God's wanting us to focus our attention on spiritual things. And that's what the Apostle Paul's trying to do. Listen, you think that God doesn't care about you? Have you ever read Matthew chapter 6? You know, the lilies of the valley and all that, how they're arrayed even more so than Solomon and all that. Do you really think that you can provide for your family better than God can? Do you really think so? I mean, we live like that sometimes. Like it's my responsibility to meet every need in my family's life. So I'm going to have to do this. And I got to do And we, live, we, we have this huge burden on our shoulders. We walk around with all the time. I got to carry the weight. Well, where's God fit into that? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your quest be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Whatever happened to that? I'm not talking about being lazy, and I'm not talking about not taking responsibility. I'm not talking about disregarding my my job as a father or even as a mom or whatever it might be. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's our attitude toward this aspect of godliness and gain. Gain and godliness do not go hand in hand. But godliness with contentment, that's great gain. You know who the happiest people in the world are? The ones who are content. And you know what? The people that are most content in the world, they're usually not the people with the most money. It's an amazing concept, but it's a reality. It seems to me that everybody I've ever known that was godly, uh, many of those godly people, a number of them, were not rich financially. But they had contentment. Their, Their heart was right with God. And they were content with what they had. And they were pleased to just simply be. I think that one of the things lacking in our culture today is drive. This competitive spirit that we're trying to steal out of the men in our, our, our world. I, I tell you, it's sickening in America how we, we, we don't want our young men to be competitive. It's okay for girls to be competitive today, but it's not okay for guys to be. That's, that's so ruthless and it's so crude and it's so... Uh, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with guys getting out here and they'll play some cornhole here? And ladies, if you're going to play against the guys at cornhole... Listen, don't expect them to enjoy getting beat by you. I heard there were a few of them got beat by girls last year. I won't mention any names. 
But they take that stuff serious if they're a man. They don't like getting beat, especially by girls. Someone says, well, I don't, that's, that's just not fair. That's not right. You shouldn't care who beat you, blah, 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 blah. Whatever. If a guy is okay with a girl beating him up or beating him at a sport, man, what's wrong with him, man? Better get some testosterone pills or something and get some manliness in him. I'm sorry, but, you know, that, that's what the culture's teaching us to not, not be like that. But on the other hand, there's an element of contentment. I, I have spoken to a few pastors recently, and, boy, I'll tell you what, I, the one thing I appreciate ever is when a pastor is content with where he's at and what he's doing. I'm not talking about he's lazy and he's not out soul winning on a regular consistent basis and he's not out doing the work of God. If he's not doing that, then he ought not to be content at all. He ought to be, have a holy dissatisfaction. But if he's busy out knocking doors and he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing and he's putting in the hours and he's putting in the work, you ought to just trust God and say, okay, well, this is where God wants me this week. This is where God wants me this month. This is where God wants me this year. I'm right where God wants me. I'm content with that. I'm still got a holy dissatisfaction because there's a whole world dying and going to hell, but I'm content. I don't wake up in the morning going, oh, man, we only had this. Oh, man. And that's what he's talking about here. What's your emphasis? Honestly, you're going to care more about making a few extra dollars or coming to a missions conference Come on. where you can be fed and your family can be changed forever. Well, I wouldn't wonder my kids around. You know, I want my kid getting called to the mission field. Well, we know where your emphasis is. <laughs> I mean, come on. God knows what's going on. You ain't going to do anything that's going to hurt your family. I mean, what is it that's important to us? And Paul's trying to tell Timothy, there are some false teachers. We know what their, their deal is about. They're saying God, again, is godliness. They're saying that whatever they've got, this is what's important. The material things, this wealth. Well, that's not what we're about. That's not what we're about as believers. Let's get the right perspective. Let's, let's figure out what's most important. Do you realize in heaven one day, and I'm closing up, in heaven one day, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not going to impress him with the kind of car we drove or the house we lived in. That's not impressive. We're going to have mansions there. Not impressed by those things. I built a business, Lord, and well, I provided well for my family. He's going to be like, well, who cares? What'd you do for me? What'd you do for me? I mean, I'm just saying we make such a big deal of it. I don't. And you know what? What what comes out of most of that all the time is pride. Because if I can make a lot of money, if I can be successful in the world, if I can have some influence, if I can be a somebody, if I have a nice house or a nice car, then that proves to me that I fi- I've arrived. I'm somebody finally. I deserve a little respect finally. I've earned that. Oh, really? A hellbound sinner, you deserve that. I'm saying I don't care if somebody comes in here with two legs missing and they can't see out of both eyes. And they couldn't work if they tried. God says they're just as valuable as you are with your millions of dollars. 
If their heart's right, then they're even more valuable to my kingdom than you are. When we get that spirit and that attitude, we understand it's not about the things we have. It's about godliness, and it's about contentment. Let's get content with our husbands and wives. Let's get content with the kids that God gave us. Let's get content with the job that we have. And if we don't think it's where we ought to be, then pray and ask God to begin to reveal to you where you should go. But I'm just saying, let's figure it out here. Let's understand that we're miserable if we're not content. Miserable. And sadly enough, there's a lot of miserable Christians today. And I think a lot of times we're miserable because we're just not content. It's not because our circumstance is so bad. We just don't like where God has us. And that ticks us off. We're not happy about it. There ain't nothing you can do about it. You might as well just get on God's side and say, okay, Lord, you better use it to your glory then because I'm not able to change anything. I'm just going to accept what you got for me. I'm going to deal with it. You, get, you, you dealt the cards. I'm holding them. I'm just going to play them as I got them, Lord. You better show me how to play them now. And I'm happy with what you gave me. Whether I win, lose, or draw, I'm just going to play the cards. But either way, I'm just going to keep praising you and thanking you. Father, we come to you. We need you. And Lord, we're a, we're a needy people. And Lord,